Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. You know, all the accounting and finance background that I've had, it really does help in, in lots of aspects of your career, whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's corporate boardroom. Those skill sets are very, very important. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for the Life in Accounting Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from our guest this week, CPA, CFO, former city councilman, and real estate professional as well, John Clamp. John currently is serving as the CFO for the Alamo Area Council of Governments in San Antonio. However, in addition to getting more information about a day in his life as CFO, I want to delve into his background in real estate from earlier on in his career and also his time spent serving as city councilman for two terms or six years. You'll hear it in the interview, but John really opened up and shared some good detail on all those experiences. He's definitely had an exciting career going from effectively a staff accountant to CFO but it's really the journey that he took that's so interesting. Definitely not the quote-unquote typical path. You'll have to listen closely on this one. We cover a lot of territory for one show. Here we go with John Clamp. Well, hello, John. Thank you for taking the time out for this. I know everyone's time is valuable, and so I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Mark. Anytime. Oh, wonderful. Well, so that our listening audience has some background, I invited John to come on the show, obviously because of his accounting background, but also he served the community in the role of city councilman. He was appointed by the governor, actually, to the Regional Mobility Authority, and he's also run for county tax assessor collector here recently. John, I want to get into all that and, and definitely how you decide to move into politics and, of course, your, your current position as CFO as well. But let's start at the beginning so the audience gets a better idea of the path you've taken and how you got to where you are today. Sure. How did you decide to pursue accounting as a career in the first place? What led you to that? You know, I think after high school and, you know, attending college for the first semester or two and taking a few classes, business classes, uh, I think it was, I took an accounting class with, with Dr. Maloof at UTSA, and I really liked the way he taught. He had a really good style and very conversive and not just accounting, but really about the business world and how accounting plays in that business world. And I, I kind of got hooked on him. Uh, he wasn't the most popular teacher out there all the time, but uh, I really liked him. I kept at the accounting classes. You know, I was starting a young family, and, you know, the first thing you think about is how am I going to feed all the mouths? So uh, accounting <laughs> seemed like a very logical pathway to get a good, stable job and, and you know, feed the family. So 
taking accounting courses, really enjoying it, being a part of the business school and and learning that really the foundation of business, I think, was really appealing to me. And, I, and it's really proved rewarding for at least my career. Hmm. Okay. So you pretty much started as an accounting major then. Yes, I did. I got my degree in accounting and didn't love all my accounting classes, but uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I went to do uh, various career objectives and and every step of the way, accounting has been a really key part of that. It, you can't overstate the importance of accounting and business in no matter what you do. You could be on the finance staff or program staff or administrator, but you have to always work with budgets and numbers and those kinds of things. And the more prepared you are for that, I think the better your career is going to be. So uh, it's, it served me uh, quite well. I'm very happy about it. Okay. Wonderful. Well, what was your first job out of college? <laughs> my first job kind of dovetails with part of my career, but I, I worked part-time for a real estate developer, Robert Callaway Corporation. Mm. And I got to know about really interesting accounting because back in those days, everybody was going bankrupt and doing deferred interest and capitalized leases and all this fun stuff. So I was learning accounting from the bottom up. And I started I started there in 86. I think it was 84 and stayed there till about 86 and really learned about real estate, the financial side, of course, but I really started to pique my interest about being on the real estate side back then, about becoming a broker, an agent, and, and making deals happen. That seemed to me where all the fun was. You know, accounting stable and it's consistent and, you know, it's a great job, great career. But to me, the fun was really in the in making the deal. So I'm kind of glad I started working at Robert Calloway, and they taught me a lot. I never, you know, later on, obviously, I became a broker and, and some things. But being in the real estate business, no matter what you join, is always exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and then after Robert Calloway, I started working at San Antonio Savings Association. I was in their corporate real estate department. That was about six to nine months, I believe, Stayed there for a little while. They were, if you remember, San Antonio Savings didn't survive. And Mm -hmm. if I remember, the the market crash happened in October of 87. And things just weren't going very well. And then I was very fortunate to start my real real estate career at uh, USAA. And uh, Mm -hmm. that was back in January of 88. So. So your your first position at USAA, was it, I guess, what kind of role in real estate was it? Just real estate, just a pure real estate accountant back okay. in January of 88. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was uh, the best job ever, you know, making $28,000 a year. I thought this was <laughs> great. I'm loving it, flying high. This is good stuff. I remember my first raise when I was whatever, it was like 32000 I said, oh, man, I'm going to be just, just doing gangbusters here. Uh, I don't know how anybody survives on that anymore, but... You know, USA provided a really great career. Started with a real estate company, worked at Lock and Terror Development Company. They built the golf course in Fiesta, Texas. So that was fun in my career to be an accountant and be a part of that type of development. Hmm. And of course, having deep pockets like USAA, it's always interesting to take care of the membership and, and do investments and all the real estate that happens with USA. It really is a good company to learn from. So. I kept my real estate itch going at USAA. And then after, I don't know, four, five, six years, 
I transferred over to the real estate corporate tax department, try to do something new. That wasn't my forte, I will tell you that. I did sales tax inquiries, federal tax inquiries, those kinds of things, but that is definitely not my style. (laughs) So I got out of that pretty quickly. Then I went back to corporate finance and I really... One of the more memorable parts of my career was working in corporate finance under General Robles, you know, the former president of USA. He was CFO at that time, and I really learned a lot from him on politics and finance and accounting and things like that. And I didn't even know it at the time, but he was a really great mentor and leader, and I really enjoyed serving him in corporate finance. Mm, Okay. It looks like you ended up moving on from USAA and and starting a business. (laughs) Yeah. I served 13 years at USAA, 13 strong years. They wanted me to stay and I was just getting the itch to do something else. I had, you know, part of working at USAA, there's, you can't really get a whole, a whole lot involved in politics and in the community. It's just, you know, the time commitment and USAA being who they are, they're very sensitive to those kinds of things. So I was ready to do my own thing. was a real estate broker at that time. And so I left USAA with my buyout. And I think it was all of, I don't know, 30,000 bucks. <laughs> and I started my real estate and mortgage company. And that's what I did for the next decade, I think. And it was a really good move. I left USA. USA is a great company, but it's very insular. And everything happens at USAA. And all the things you learn there really are very helpful in starting a business and being part of the community and making connections and and just being an entrepreneur. They teach you a lot over there. So I didn't even look for a job. I just, I went and found an office, signed a lease, and I was in the business. (laughs) Mm, Wow. And I didn't even think twice about it. I celebrated, had margaritas, and I just hit the ground running. I had been doing real estate, you know, on the weekends or in the evenings and helping friends out and those kinds of things. But I really became a real estate broker, had agents work for me. I did a lot of my, a lot of my own deals and it fed the family for a good long while. It still does to this day. So it was a good move. I enjoyed it. Did the real estate part and then added mortgage brokering at a later time, not right directly out of uh, USA. And uh, very lucrative business. And then they changed all the rules at the federal level and just r- really made it hard for the small guy to survive in a, in a decent way. So I just let that go. So right now, I just still, to this day, have a small real estate company and I do family business and that's about it. I mean, I, I don't do a whole lot of real estate anymore these days, but it's, it's a good uh, fallback career if I ever need it again. <laughs> <laughs> always good to have something else. You know, it's like a CPA designation. It's like, I can always do tax returns or bookkeeping or something like that. But it's been very, it's been very good to, to me and the family and to, you know, my cousins and aunts and uncles and business associates. I really enjoy it. It's it's been good. Wonderful. Yeah. People that aren't from this area wouldn't know, but choosing to leave USAA at that time to go start a business from scratch would be seen by many people as a very risky maneuver because it you know, was known as you know, one of the most stable companies in South Texas. Just you know, make a career there. You can't describe it any better. It was risky at the time. But I think for me, it was the right decision. I was real antsy and I was really kind of getting bored of doing the same thing 13 years, accounting and finance. And 
I just thought there was more out there in the world, and and I knew there was. I had been involved in in several other adventures in the city, whether it was volunteering on boards and commissions or even in my own neighborhood and those kinds of things. There's so much that a person can do out in the world. It's it's amazing. I even started one time... you didn't even know this. I started, I sold aviation fuel at one point in time after I left USA, a small general aviation airport out in Zool, Texas. And I sold aviation fuel. It was the most fun I ever had in my life. <laughs> and, and the point is you can do anything you want to do. I mean, I went out there to buy some more real estate and, and rent hangers for airplanes. And I ended up selling fuel <laughs> and I loved it. Every minute of it, my kids loved it. It was just fantastic. And went up to BP, British Petroleum, and took a class and learned how to do all the safety requirements and signed a lease. And, and boom, I was in business. And it was a lot of fun. Oh, my gosh. I thought you were just talking about brokering a deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, you know, you can do brokerage and then you can do all kinds of other stuff. So, but yeah, all kinds of, all kinds of good stuff going on. So Okay. So when did you decide to get involved with city council and, and you know, pursue that and, and why? <laughs> yeah, why? You know, why is a very good question. And, and, and unless you've really done it and kind of understand it, it's really a calling. It's not okay. like you wake up one day and go, oh, I want to be on city council. It really started out a lot of a couple of my good friends are, are former elected officials, uh, Jeff Webster, Lyle Larson and a couple of other folks. And we used to hang around and I would help them on their campaigns. And then I started getting involved in neighborhood associations, my own. And I realized I had a knack for making things happen or getting things done at that level, which is rather challenging sometimes, whether it's a zoning case, a neighborhood issue, no matter what it is, if you know how to navigate city politics and city hall and can figure out how to get to the right person, the decision maker, or put enough political neighborhood pressure on folks to get things done, it works. And I started doing that. People started calling me, hey, we need help with uh, this zoning case. Hey, we need help with this. I said, sure, sure, sure. So I was kind of doing city politics anyway, and I had great mentors. And I woke up one day and said, you know what? I like this. This is fun. I can use my skill sets, whether it's just neighborhood politics and my business and finance background and use it to the benefit of the city. So I decided to run for city council one day. And, you know, the first first question I get from, of course, my former elected official friends is, are you crazy? And I said, yes, I am crazy. And I still want to do this. <laughs> and, you know, the rest is kind of history. But Saying that you want to run for city council and then doing it are really two different things. It is more work than you can imagine. It takes more time than you can imagine. And it really is a commitment. And if you think it's just going to be an easy, oh, I'm going to run for council and you know we'll see what happens, it's not that much fun. But if you really put your thinking cap on, get a good base of support, you do it for the right reasons, and that's you know ultimately serving the public no matter who it is, I think everything comes together and you have a happy political career if you're successful in winning an election. And it's, it, was really, it was really an exciting time for me when I ran for city council, but it, it really is a 24-7 job. 
how long is the election cycle for city council? I mean, are you working on that a couple of years in advance or? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you could, uh, you could do it either the quick route where you just say, oh, it's February or March of the, the current year when you're going to run an election and say, oh, I'll file for an election or you can plan the previous year, which is what I suggest. So usually like the fall of the, before the year of the election, which is okay. an odd years in city of San Antonio, you start putting out feelers about, hey, I'm going to run for city council. And then you start garnering support. Uh, hopefully you file a treasurer's report and you start collecting some money, doing a budget. There, There's the finance and accounting again, right? <laughs> um, there you go. You know, you start laying the groundwork. You start meeting with neighborhood leaders and business leaders and getting a campaign staff, if you can, up in, up in place. And uh, you start thinking about your platform. Why do you want to run? If you can't articulate why you want to run, then you probably shouldn't run. <laughs> and, you know, it's not just as simple as printing signs and doing T-shirts and having a platform. You've got to put air, all the pieces of the pie together. And that's connecting with the public, debates, block walking, knocking on doors and, and talking to actual voters. I mean, it was fun for me. I loved, I loved knocking on doors and talking to folks. They, you know, because city council is kind of seen as the first touch of government. You mm-hmm. know, you kind of live in the area where you're representing the, the voters and they know where you live. They see you at HEB. They know your phone number. They know where you live and they know how to find you. And they see you at your neighborhood meetings and functions. And you're there and you're on call 24-7. It's just uh, kind of the nature of the beast about you know, I was not as fortunate in my first council election. I ran in 2003 and wasn't successful. And I stayed stayed active and involved in the neighborhood association structure within District 10 and decided to run again in uh, 2000 and for the 2007 election cycle. And so I did. And at that, since I lost, I was just, I was expected to win in '03, and I didn't win. I, there was a lot. Of, if you remember back in '03, a lot of former city council members were going to jail, mm. and I was kind of seen as the inside guy because I I knew everybody. And so my opponent did a really good job of painting me as the inside guy, and I was a troublemaker. And very few people showed up at that election. Usually about twelve to 15,000 people voted. Only about 5,200 voted in that election, so I lost. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, but I learned a lot by losing and waited you know, another three and a half years, and then I decided to run again. And I will tell you, politics is a brutal business. You have to have really thick skin and a thick and a strong stomach. And people who you think are your friends are sometimes not your friends. And people try to discourage you from running. I will tell you, I was so adamant about running. I didn't really even care about people thinking I was going to win or lose. And and I just said, look, I'm going to run. I'm going to win. I worked so hard that I did, I think I got over 70% of the vote, if I remember Mm. correctly, on both my elections. So I block walked a lot, though. I would work. I mean, obviously, I had to support, (laughs) you know, feed my family. But... I would work from uh, in the morning till about 12 or 1 o'clock, and then I'd go block walk for the rest of the day. I mean, I was religious about it, and it paid off. It paid off. And then people knew me better from the Neighborhood Association and those kinds of things, but it's definitely not for the faint of heart. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> How long did you serve on city council, and what what surprised you the most about it, or what did you learn that you didn't know going in? 
You know, I served from 2007 through 2011. So I served two two two-year terms, four years. Okay. And even though you get all this advice about how much time it's going to take and how much energy it's going to take, it just triple it because from six o'clock in the morning to literally 12 in the evening, you're going a, a hundred miles an hour, whether it's council meetings, constituent meetings, business meetings, working in between, you're, you're just on a constant hundred miles per hour kind of pace. And I loved it. I mean, it was, I've never done drugs in my life, but it was my drug of choice. I mean, serving the community is probably, you know, one of the things that I've enjoyed the most. And it's kind of a, it's a calling. And if you really like it, it's, it's uh, euphoric in a way. And, it's, and you're helping people. You're making things happen. You're the voice for the voiceless in the community. And it's a really good feeling. And you're doing good things. And, and I think people appreciate it at the end of the day. And what I didn't expect was this, you know, the scrutiny is pretty high, but what I was really kind of disappointed in is when, and this is true and I'm not complaining about it or anything, but the media, if they don't really like you, they're not going to write good things about you. And that was one thing I, you know, I kind of wish had gone in better direction, but it didn't. And, you know, when you buck the system, when you quote, don't fall in line, they have the power of the printing papers, and it can be pretty pretty disastrous sometimes. <laughs> but you get used to it, and oftentimes when people want to run for office, they come and sit and chat with me, and I, I tell them the whole story from A to Z and, and tell them this is what to expect. But with all that aside, there is really, there's really no better job than to serve a community, and I really was honored to have that opportunity. And I still, to this day, people ask me to help on, on issues. And I do. I mean, I just love it. People still have my cell phone number. They call me all the time. They text me. And, <laughs> and, I, and, and I just love it. It's part of my DNA now is to help folks navigate a, a very difficult political system. I take it as firsthand knowledge. And people just, they just don't understand the complexities of city, county, state, federal government. They just want to get things done. And good elected officials figure out how to make it easy for constituents to remain happy in their homes. <laughs> so. so your time on city council, that second term was ending around the same time you were closing down your mortgage company, more or yeah. less. Yeah. What, what was the next step? What happened after all that? I will tell you, you know, after you serve on council and you're going 100 miles an hour, you know, the world is just at a very very fast pace. And then you, you wake up one day and you're like, wow, I'm going one mile per hour. What do I do? <laughs> it's like, wow, <laughs> I don't know what to do. I got all this time on my hands. Usually when you're going hundred miles an hour, you're doing a hundred things a day. And then you stop and you go, oh, I don't even have a lunch date. Oh, I have this one deal. And things really slow down. I said, Man, I got bored really quickly. So I go, you know what? I think I'm just going to relax a little bit, shut down the mortgage business. I still did some real estate deals and I, you know, actually had a little bit of fun in the the oil boom back in the day, back in the 2010 to 13 or whenever it was. Uh, We did some real estate deals in South Texas and that was fun. Hmm. But shut down the mortgage business. I said, you know what? I, I think I'm ready to do something else. As you can tell by now, I get excited for new challenges. <laughs> so I was fortunate 
enough to have the the hotel and lodging association executive director position come open and I applied for that. In fact, I applied for it and I think the same day the Texas Hotel Lodging Association president gave me a call and I went up the next day for an interview. Wow. And it happened that fast. I mean, the hotel association here was looking really more to how do we become better partners in the community? How do we have more exposure? How do we get things done? Those kinds of things. And it was part accounting and finance and part community service. And it was a really good fit. I loved being hotel executive director, hotel lodging executive director. I never got used to the valet parking, but I miss it today. (laughs) (laughs) That was a joke. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Really? You know, and I will tell you, my first board meeting, this was incredible. We had wine and cheese and hors d'oeuvres at our first board meeting. I said, you know what? This is going to be good. (laughs) This is going to be good. (laughs) So I served there for three years. And I think one of my, the major accomplishments there really was, without going into a lot of detail, was really taking the Convention and Visitors Bureau private. So now they are visit, Mm. visit San Antonio. So there was a lot of, there was some politics with that. There was some strategy with that. And we made that happen. And the mayor, Mayor Taylor did a fantastic job of moving that along. And that was probably one of the, probably one of the highlights of me serving as executive director for the Hotel Launching Association. So. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. That flew by. That was like two, almost three year term. So. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yes. I, I was thinking it was much shorter. I didn't realize. Yeah. Wow. It was almost three okay. years, yeah. Okay. So where does the governor's appointment to the Mobility Authority come in and, and your campaign for? Well, after I got off council, I kind of laid low. We didn't talk about it, but I, I did run for county tax assessor sometime in 11. I think the election was in 12. I was not successful in that election. You know, running a county race is a much more entailed than a city council race, but I was not successful. And so I said, well, I'll just keep doing something else. And about that time, I was asked to, if I wanted to serve on the, as chairman of the RMA. And I said, no, I really wasn't interested. I just kind of wanted to decompress and just figure out what my next move was. And then that was probably, I'd say, you know, midsummer or something like that. And then I wound up getting the executive director job at the Hotel Lodging Association. So I got that under my belt. And then I was at Jim's on Blanco and 410 one day, and I saw Commissioner Wolf and goes, hey, are you still interested in serving as the RMA chair? Hmm. And I said, sure. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So there were some there were some candidates that didn't really want to be in the public eye or have any controversy. And I said, well, you're going to have controversy serving as the chair of the RMA, the tolling authority for the region. <laughs> I said, that's not going to come without any any political heat. So I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. So I uh, went up, met with the governor's staff, met with the governor, and went through a Senate confirmation process and was confirmed as uh, the chairman of the Regional Mobility Authority. And the Regional Mobility Authority is a anything to do with transport. If it moves, whether it's an airplane, whether it's vehicles, whether it's bridges or subways or trains, anything, the RMA can have a touch on it. And they're really a powerful organization. 
even a little bit more powerful than TxDOT. And so I didn't even know all that when I said, yes, I'll be chairman. <laughs> just said, sure, I'll do it. I'll serve. And they're doing quite well now. They've issued some bonds and they're building regional mobility projects. So they're moving forward too. And I really enjoyed serving as the governor's appointee. I had to resign from that position when I became the CFO for ACOG. So I had to had to let that go. And I still, to this day, wish I didn't have to. But, you know, a paying job is always good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> serving as chairman of the RMA just didn't pay the bills. So, But, you know me, I enjoy serving the public in any way I can do that. I always do. But that's kind of how being an RMA chair came about. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that the campaign for tax assessor collector was that long ago. For some reason, yeah. I was thinking it was... It was more recent time block. No, it was it was way back then. And you know, and being I will tell you too, you know, I kinda kinda went through it quickly, but there's a little bit of politics when you're when you become a an appointee of the governor. And hmm. uh without a whole lot of detail, let's just say it was interesting. Okay. <laughs> so but I loved well, now, it. It was good. I have to ask because you didn't win your first shot at city council and then your second one you did have you thought about rerunning for the county tax assessor collector no i have second not time to charm <laughs> yeah you know at this point i'm really thrilled being at acog there's so much that we are doing to move the organization forward and, and get some new leadership in and, and change processes and and look at our, our grant funding and what we can do in the future i really do enjoy every minute of it. So right now I'm kind of, I'm happy. I, I, I you know, when I was on city council, you don't get paid. <laughs> so I enjoy getting a paycheck and paying the bills and that's always good, but uh, it's not out of my system. I will, when I retire from ACOG, I do have plans to serve the public in another position of some sort, maybe state rep or something like that. But that's, you know, eight, eight years down the line. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about that. So really <laughs> This position, the CFO role you're in now, is the first paid position, not counting being self-employed, since USAA. Yeah, uh, pretty much. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's Still nice to have a paycheck, John. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, you know, I left USA in, uh, I think it was 01, and my first paid position was, I think, in 2013 with the Hotel Lodging Association. Actually, Hotel oh, Lodging Association. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I survived. I don't know how I did that. Usually when you tell people you, you left USAA voluntarily, they look at you like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, but there's so many things to do out in the world. It's, it was worth it. It was worth it. Wonderful. Well, tell us about ACOG, which for people that aren't from this area, it's the Alamo Area Council of Governments. Tell us what you guys do and, and what your role there comprises. You know, oddly enough, it's really all about community service again. And uh, we are funded through federal and state grants. And we kind of do the things that people know get done, but they don't know who does it. And so we provide services for the IDD community intellectually development disability community. Uh, we're the AAA, the agency, area agency on aging. So we provide uh, services to seniors and veterans. We have a transportation company. So we're like the VIA of, uh, in the rural community. So ACOG serves an area of Bear County and some surrounding 12 counties. So we have buses that pick up individuals that need to go to the medical visits, uh, dialysis, shopping, whatever. 
If you think about the rural areas, they do not have a consistent, always transportation system. So we're building that system as we speak. So we do that. We also have a law enforcement academy, probably one of the best in the state. So if you can't get into SAPD or Houston or Dallas, one of the top three in in Texas, but you still want to be a peace officer, you're most likely going to go through ACOG's Law Enforcement Academy. And it's really a, a fine facility off of Wetmore Road. And uh, you can, you'll get your peace officer's license and you can become a city policeman anywhere, a county police officer, a independent school district police person, any of those and any other kind of peace officer job available. So it's really a good service, not only to Bear County, but to our region as well. So we do that. And we do, another, we do other hodgepodge of environmental services. We're working with Joint Base San Antonio on a few things. If there's a, you know, if we need to be the grant administrator or the financial administrator of a grant uh, because we already have the infrastructure in place. We're usually the group to to manage that grant. And there's we do I don't know we probably do fifty to seventy five grants a year, and ACOG in general we probably do fifty almost fifty million dollars in federal, state, local grants mm. that run through the agency. So it's pretty good. We have it's about three hundred people that we have here. And it really is fun talking about using your accounting brain. So we manage, just think of all the accounting involved with all the different fiscal years with all these state and federal grants and then calendar years, keeping all the accounting straight. We're probably audited maybe 25 times a year from different agencies, it seems like. (laughs) So there's always an auditor here. There's tremendous amount of accounting and finance work involved, but I absolutely enjoy it. Hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, before I get to the final questions I ask every podcast guest, I have have one more question. And I started phrasing this a little differently because, I mean, you've had a wonderful career and, you know, on some levels, I'm sure there's nothing you would change, you know, that that it's it's went well. But if you could go back in time and, and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would that be? You know, I, I think, and I wouldn't change anything. I mean, everything's really been wonderful for me. I think go to school earlier or, you know, advanced degrees earlier. The only one thing I didn't do was maybe go to law school or, you know, something like that. But I've done a lot of other stuff that I, I think took up the, the time commitment. But I would stay in school and do different and various things is kind of, I guess, some advice I would give somebody new. But for me, I think I would probably just do better in school in the high school level. And then when you get into college, complete a degree and then maybe don't wait as long going back to get a master's degree or some other advanced degree. I think education is so important and and not just the same education, same field, do something different. I think I would give that advice to anybody these days. If you had to do it over again, would you get your law degree? Yeah, I think I would. I really would, especially being in real estate and contracts. Yeah. I really enjoy that piece of the, the pie. Now, would I be a litigator or a corporate attorney or something like that? Probably not. But having a law degree in the state is kind of cool. <laughs> I would love, still love to do that. So, I mean, you know, being a CPA, being an attorney, being being a broker. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, sometimes things are really good in one area and they're not so good in another, and you just kind of ride the wave through your career when, you know, if you need to eat, you can do real estate, you can be a lawyer, you can be do books, 
and they really complement each other. And I guess the bottom line is there's probably nothing you really can't do if you put your mind to it. I probably could still go to law school, but I'm I'm just getting too old, and I just want to go fishing and go to the beach and hang out. So, <laughs> yeah, I've heard that whole law school thing is a little work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I'm just like I'm too tired for that. I'm just like. No, I have better things to do. <laughs> so, but yeah, I would go to law school again if I. And you know, I was really close, and I actually went to had the LSAT book. I was studying. I just things changed. I can't remember what changed, but sure, uh, maybe next time. There you go. Okay. <laughs> well, like I mentioned, I end every podcast with the same three questions for consistency reasons, and so the first one, and usually the easiest one for people, is what has been your proudest moment? Well, I actually probably have two, so I'm going to take a little liberty. Okay. And so on a personal side, you know, just the birth of your kids is probably the most amazing thing somebody will ever go through. So I have four kids and I can remember that moment for each of them. And thank God my last one was was a girl. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's got to be on the personal side, one of the the more prouder moments of my life. And then on the business or career side, obviously being elected to city council is a true honor and tremendous responsibility to serve the public and to serve them well and with, with distinction. And it sounds easier said than done, but you know, when you get out there on your first day to represent the community, go out in city council, sit at the dais and I remember saying, man, how do I represent 150,000 people? (laughs) Oh my gosh, what am I doing here? But you learn. There's not a book on serving the community per se, but if your heart's in the right place, if you have good direction for your district and your citizens, things just seem to work out. And that was a very proud moment. I can remember winning my the election and how that felt too. And then, you know, but you don't do it alone. You do it with a lot of teamwork and a lot of family and a lot of support structures from everywhere. And I really remember that well. Mm -hmm. That is good. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you (laughs) learned from it. And frankly, the bigger, the better. We like (laughs) the big mistakes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, sadly enough, even, you know, there's a group of folks that I've worked with in the past and a lot of us are professionals and Mm -hmm. attorneys and CPAs. And we did a real estate deal. And and quite frankly, we were taken advantage of by a single person. And Mm -hmm. without a lot of details, it was very costly. (laughs) (laughs) And it's one of those things where you always, a lot of good people just think people are always good and good hearted and and Mm -hmm. won't take advantage of people and bring you down a road where you just really didn't want to go. And you learn to identify those early on and you kind of get your guard up and you just kind of prevent it for the future. So it's only happened once in my career. I remember it very well. And my pocketbook is still light, some <laughs> money from that. So I'll never forget it. And you just learn and, and you try to find the good in people all the time. But sometimes some people are just not very nice. <laughs> well, is there anything that you can take away from that experience or, you know, any lesson learned, so to speak? You know, get it in writing. <laughs> something, you know, something like you, can, that. you can get things in writing, but I will tell you, if people want to take advantage of you, they will do it some way, shape, form, or fashion. Because even if you get it in writing, they're going to take you to court, and then you have to go through that ordeal, and it costs money, and it costs lawyers, and it's just not fun. 
You know, there's better things to do in life than to argue with partners in court. It's just not fun. And it's preventable. Not always, but it's mostly preventable. And bad people just seem to have this negative aura. If you're going to take advantage of people, it doesn't matter whether it's in writing or not. They're just going to drag you to the mud and just wring every dollar out of you and just make your life miserable. And if you're used to doing good things with good people and having good outcomes, it's really not a place you want to be. And they know that. And they kind of prey on that. So, okay. I'll well, never forget it. It's, it's ingrained in my brain. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't fun, but it wasn't too costly either. But it was uh, more than I wanted to, to spend. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I like to end every podcast on a positive note before we say goodbye. So mm-hmm. what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Well, I've had several, obviously, but I'm going to narrow it down to one. And this was from General Robles, the former CEO at USA. And I remember him saying, we were talking at some meeting and, you know, I'd worked for him for several years. And he always said, be prepared when going into battle. Hmm. And he was a former armory general as well. And just be prepared when going into battle. And I've used that throughout my career, whether it was being prepared at a neighborhood meeting, in battle meaning the scenario, the circumstance, the meeting, the city council, wherever you go, be prepared, work harder than the next guy, know what's going on, know what questions to ask, know how to get what you want in a good way, know how to anticipate, know what your opponents are going to do, and be ready. And I've taken that piece of advice It has served me very well. You're not always going to be the winner, but you can also be a graceful loser. You can be dignified in in losing. And it's always better to win, though. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) But I've used it, and it really has served me well. And I try to use that in just about everything I do. And you cannot be overprepared, but you certainly can be underprepared. And I think when, when that mindset really gets into you, I think life is better on certain things. So I've always been appreciative of General Robles and that lesson and all the lessons that he and many others have provided me. And it's funny to this day, and I know some business associates, we, we swap kids per se, you know, their kids are going to school or high school or college or whatever. And we always trade stories and advice with kids on growing up and school and careers mm-hmm. and things like that. So we always, I still spread the word, at least from my perspective on good advice. There you go. Well, that be prepared when going into battle, that. That was good preparation for all those campaigns. Oh, it was. It really is. <laughs> and, you know, I lost the first battle, won the second battle. Won, you know, I lost another election, but I'm very confident I'll, if I win another one, I'll be just as blessed. So, But it's been, it served me very well. Very, Wonderful. Very well, well. That, that's a good positive note to end this on. Thank you so yeah. much. You've given us a lot of insight into politics. And, and like I mentioned to you beforehand, you know, we, we haven't had very many people from that world that were accountants, you know, on the show. So this has been very beneficial. <laughs> and I really appreciate how open you were about the mistake as well, because <laughs> hey, I know that's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy, but you know, it's, it's over. And, you know, I learned a lot from that. So that's why they call it experience. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, I, you know, going back to that, be prepared for battle. I will tell you on a, a really kind of a interesting note is that all the accounting and finance background that I've had, it really does help in, in lots of aspects of your career, whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's the corporate boardroom, those skill sets are very, very important. So, yes, yes. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great summer. I will have a great summer. I'm going fishing again, hopefully soon. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. Anytime. Well, that was John Clamp, former city councilman for San Antonio and currently the CFO for Alamo Area Council of Governments. I can tell you from our pre-podcast conversations, John really does hold General Joe Robles from his time at USAA in high regards. It didn't surprise me at all when he credited the best advice he has ever received to General Robles. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Please visit us online as well at www.whereaccountantsgo.com for the full show notes on this and all our previous episodes of the Life in Accounting podcast. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much again for joining us. There's more to come.